As we prepare our hearts uh, to hear his story, let us allow the Holy Spirit to minister, minister to us through his words. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for our brother Bradley. I thank you so much that, uh, that you have given him the courage and, and, and given him uh, a miracle to be able to share with us, Lord God. And I pray that uh, as he shares, um, that Holy Spirit, that you will give him uh, the courage once more um, to not feel the shame uh, or any condemnation of whatever uh, may have taken place in his life, Lord, but to lean in uh, to the holy redemption that you are working through him. And in your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, dude. You know, I told one of my friends a few years ago, if you ever see me on stage or the microphone, something's gone horribly wrong because I'm supposed to be playing an instrument, not speaking in any capacity. And I think it's just, I, I don't feel very responsible. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy, you know, like... I, I bought nine volumes of a Pokemon comic yesterday. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not an adult, you know? <laughs> and, I, it's, it's, yeah, nine volumes. Yeah, man. It's, I, it's awesome. It's gonna, be, it's gonna be so good. And I feel like it's just one of those things where I just kinda just walk through life. Like, it's just, I don't wanna think too much about it because if I think about what comes next, I'm gonna like freak out because I'm not, I'm, I'm not that guy, you know? And this, I'm gonna be sharing about a time from, um, well, basically why I'm here in Portland today. Because growing up, I just kinda went with the flow. Think of it like you throw a twig in a river. It just kind of goes. And, I, you know, just life will just work itself out, right? So I get, it's my uh, super, super senior year in college because I wanted to switch majors because I didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> um, and I was talking with my advisor. She was just like, oh, I want to see, like, what major did you end up picking? She's like, business administration. She's like, oh, what's your specialty? And I'm just like, none. <laughs> She's like, you know, but if you pick like marketing or finance, you'll get the business administration major and some other one. You get two degrees. Like, that's what everyone's doing. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> if you pick business administration, it's only 28 credits. You pick another one, it's 55. That's just, that's just the right thing right there. That's less work. What I didn't know was it wasn't actually enough credits to graduate from the university, so I had to make them up anyway, so it would have been beneficial to do, like, actually pick a specialty, but hey, who needs to think? And she's like, all right, so like, what do you want to do after you graduate? I don't know. Why, why'd you pick this major? And I was like, it was 28 credits. She's like, well, don't you want to do something? Nah. I, like, I, I don't know. I'm not picky about what I want in my life because I know God will be with me wherever I go. And some people are just like, dude, that's just lazy. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I, I want to be at peace with what God has in store for me because I'm just like, he would put an impression on my heart when the time is right. And um, that time was super late <laughs> because it was June of 2020. I was finishing up my final term, and I ha still had no idea what I'm going to do. You know, the world was shut down. I had to move back home with my family because it just was not practical trying to pay for rent when... You couldn't go to work. <laughs> and it's one of those moments, you know, where you're sitting there at night. And I don't know, because there are a few people that say, I just lay down and go to sleep. I'm like, good for you, dude. That's not me. My brain goes, and I had that moment where I was talking with God, saying, Father, I, I don't know what to do. This is the most lost I have been since you asked me to follow you. 
before it was so easy. I'd get plugged in with a church, be in community, serve, lead a small group, serve on worship. But this thing is coming up. I don't know what you want for me. I can't do this. Where do I go? I have no money. I have no job lined up because I didn't do like any internships. I have nothing, Lord. Where do you want me to go? He responded. And it's, there are rare instances in my life where I feel I could hear the Lord speaking to me. And he said, Portland. <laughs> and I, I know it sounds silly, but I felt such overwhelming peace in that moment. <sighs> All right, an answer. Good night. <sighs> and so... The next morning, I go downstairs for breakfast with my mom and dad. I'm like, guys, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to Portland. And my dad's like, ooh, bud. (laughs) You know, um, that's a major city, and um, everyone is sick. They will get you sick up there. You're more likely to get sick And also, there are a lot of protests, and the news makes it look like it's on fire 24-7, which it did. It wasn't. You know, I was here. It was not on fire 24-7, but the news was not kind to Portland. And he's just like, also some other thing, um, you don't have any money, and you have no job lined up. And I was like, that's true. You're right. But I have to go. Why? Well, God told me to. And, you know, thinking about the practicality of all those things, it just didn't make sense. But God, God told me. I had to. I'm just like, he'll, he'll, he'll get me. He always does. Every single time. This wouldn't be the first time. And so I decided to go get some donuts, even though that was super irresponsible. You know, it's just like, go to the grocery store for necessities. And I'm just like, jelly donut with a straw. And so I roll up to Winco Foods. I get out of my car. I'm walking up. Sometimes I like to get a cart, even though I know I'm not going to use it. And I'll just like ride it down the hill because it's just really fun. And I'm about to do that, and I get a boop boop in my pocket. Look, it's my buddy, one of my good friends, Mac. And he is a recruiter over at Nike. And he's like, hey, man, there is a position that I think you'd be the perfect fit for. And I already talked to the bosses, and they want you to interview. And I was like, oh, that's perfect timing. This is like literally the day after I, I asked God what to do. I was like, all right, let's do this, Lord. Come on. And I'm shopping, and I'm just like, man, all right, job. I, I, wish I, I, I wish I had a place to live. As I'm getting back into my car, I buckle my seatbelt. Whoop, whoop. One of my old coworkers from when I worked at Nike. Hey, man, I've been thinking about you. Um, I'm moving, and I need a roommate. We're going to be living eight minutes from the Nike campus, so do you want to you wanna live with me? I was just like, oh, this is crazy, dude. I'm like, God, thank you, because that was not the first instance where I had no answers, and God just showed up out of the blue and was just like, here you go, son, right there. And I go home, and I was like, Dad. I'm going to interview for a job, and I think I'm going to get it. He's just like, what? I'm like, guess what? I found a place to live, and I got a jelly donut. <laughs> and he's just looking at me. He's just, he's just like, you're, you're kidding, right? I'm just like, no, look, I got the receipts right here. <laughs> and so the next day, I interviewed to work for a Nike sustainability product with used shoes, and... I signed a lease to, um, you know, to live in Bethany. And 
within a week and a half, I was here. And I thank God for that every day. You can only go so far with your own plans and with your own understanding. And it is genuinely frightening just to ask God, where do you want me to go? Because you're not going to like the answer. You're always going to have excuses. Not enough money. It's not practical. You don't know what you're going to do. But you don't need to. God will guide you where you need to go, and he will be with you every step of the way because he will not forsake you. He got, he got his people through Egypt. He can get you an hour and a half from where you used to live. So I'm thankful for that because I have a wonderful church family and I have a wonderful wife that I was magically closer to. So that worked out great. And no, it truly is a blessing to step in obedience because even though it's hard, God will be with you. And that's all. quite a ride. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Thank you, Bradley. Mm. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for the way that you do guide us. You You are our shepherd, a good shepherd. And you promised that we would hear your voice. You know, each one of us by name, you know what we need, you know our heart's desires. And um, well, thank you for Bradley. Thank you for his story and um, his willingness to trust you even when it didn't make sense to step out um, and to believe that you are good and you are faithful. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. My name's Simon, by the way. We've not met. And uh, I'm also glad that you're here. So this story that Bradley shared um, is, was our second week in the miracle series, and as Nathan mentioned, wherever you went, um, we're going to have a new story every week during this series, um, talking about miracles. And not just like the spectacular kind, which I love, by the way, um, we're, yeah, we're going to talk about that as well. Um, but I love how Ben, so if you were here last week, Ben Tissell opened our series, and he preached a fantastic message on recognizing miracles. Some, the fantastic miracles are amazing. Those aren't particularly hard to recognize, like if someone dies and come back, comes back to life. Um, but God is in the business of like the subtle miracles as well. When you hear his voice and you respond, and others around you may not even realize what's happening, but God is working miracles in and around our lives all the time. So that's what we're talking about for the next few weeks. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it now to Mark chapter six. We're gonna look at a a miracle this morning that's arguably one of the more famous miracles in the New Testament. And I think you'll see what I'm talking about as we get into it now. So I'm looking at Mark chapter 6. We're going to read verses 45 through 52. Can we stand together as I read God's word? Immediately he, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea 
and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Please be seated. There are one and a half miracles in this story. (laughs) Hang with me. The first one's obvious. Jesus sends his disciples out on a little boat ride. He commands them to go. Jesus sets the whole thing up. And uh, we're told that in the middle of the night, the fourth watch of the night, would have been like not just midnight, but like late, late, like 3 a.m. late. They're out on the water and Jesus can see them painfully struggling against the wind. So Jesus walks out to them on the water. Uh, We're told that he meant to pass them by. um, Virtually all the commentaries are actually super helpful in sort of um, qualifying that statement. Was Jesus just meaning to simply like ignore them and walk by. Um, the language is actually, um, it, it's, it's like when the Old Testament describes God like showing up in a moment, a theophany, that's what it's called. Um, we're told that, and God was about to pass by, not ignore them and just keep on going, but like appear in a moment. I think that's what's happening. Jesus means to reveal himself as the Lord of the storm. As the disciples are in the boat, struggling painfully, making headway, Jesus appears, scares them to death, gets in the boat, and stills the storm. Miracle number one. That's awesome. Jesus does this like more than once. The other miracle, let let me put it this way. It's the making of a miracle. It's a setup for a miracle that's yet to happen. And it's the miracle of God softening hearts. The disciples are overwhelmed. They're terrified. They can hardly believe. They actually don't believe that it's Jesus, but more of this like um, apparition. They think it's probably like a sea demon or, or some, some fisherman's lore come true in their moment of desperation. But it's Jesus and he gets in the boat. He stills the storm. But they were terrified because they didn't understand the loaves because their hearts were hardened. I wanna talk about the miracle of God softening hard hearts this morning. You guys with me? Let's start with the obvious. What is a hard heart? What is a hard heart? Now, according to the text, this moment that we've just read about, it apparently has something to do with misunderstanding a situation to do with the loaves, which is actually something that just happened earlier in Mark chapter six. I'll take you there. Um, this happens a couple times in, uh, in the, the life and adventures of Jesus. A massive crowd assembles because they've heard the rumors about the man who's healing the sick. 
preaches this epic sermon. And it says there's like a, several thousand people who have gathered, but they don't have food for the masses. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, well, how much, how much food do we have? How many loaves do you have? And they do a quick inventory. And in this particular moment, the beginning of Mark chapter six, they said, well, we've got five loaves and two fish. Obviously not enough. And Jesus says, right, perfect, more than enough. He takes the loaves and the fish, he blesses them, gives them back to his disciples, and he says, go ahead, distribute them. Everyone is fed, and when it's all said and done, they have 12 basketfuls of bread left over. But their hearts were hard because they didn't understand the loaves. They didn't understand that in their moment of greatest need, Jesus is able to satisfy their hunger. We're told that um, when Jesus had fed the masses in Mark 6, verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied with leftovers. That's what Jesus means by they didn't understand the loaves. They didn't understand when that their need was greatest, when their situation was most dire in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus is able to satisfy our desires. And their hearts were hard. They didn't believe it. They couldn't. Not yet. That's a hard heart. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the reference. That's the metaphor. A hard heart is one that struggles to believe that Jesus is able to satisfy me. A hard heart is a heart that's unable to trust Jesus. To trust. He can provide. Which begs the question, what's a soft heart? If that's a hard heart, you guys with me so far? Okay, what's a soft heart? A soft heart is a trusting heart. It's a vulnerable heart. It's a childlike heart. Kids are so naive. They're wonderfully naive. So trusting. So trusting. A soft heart is a heart that believes Jesus is able to give me what I need. Jesus is able to satisfy my deepest hunger, my most vulnerable longings. A soft heart is a courageous heart, believing that in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus is near and able to still the storm. Jesus cries out, he says, take heart. Uh, if you have the NIV translation, it says, take heart. Courage can be translated either way. Take courage. It's me. I'm here. I'll take care of you. I have what you need. I'm able. I did it with the loaves. I can do it now. And a soft heart says, yeah, I believe. I believe. I'm terrified. I don't have all the answers. But Lord Jesus, I believe that you are able to satisfy me with leftovers. Let's talk cause and effect. Cause and effect. What causes a hard heart? Let's start there. What causes a hard heart and then what are the like repercussions? What does a, what does a hard heart do? How does it like affect our lives? What causes a hard heart? Verse 48, they're in the middle of this sea and we're told that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. If that's not a metaphor for life, I don't know what is. They were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. You know life, you know life, you know this thing we do. 
Life is an adventure worth living, and life is hard. Life is hard. How's your life? Isn't life wonderful and super, super hard? Sometimes it can feel like not only has the wind been let out of your sails, you had one of those days lately, it can feel like the, the wind is literally like pushing you in the opposite direction. Like Jesus said, go this way. And now the wind is just like, just working against you. And it feels like, although you're, you're working so hard to do what Jesus told you to do, it's almost as if you're moving backwards and it's painful. That's life, that's life. So I don't mean to be too bleak. It's not necessarily life every day. But generally speaking, that is life. Sometimes life can get vicious. Taking a beating or two in my life. Um, I was thinking about, well, if I'm gonna share a story, like an anecdote, this would be the place to do it. <laughs> Let me tell you about how hard my life is. Actually, you know what, as I was reflecting I'm like, just three, you know, what, what is it? What's, what is God saying here? What is this story really all about? Just meditating, meditating. And I felt like God began to show me some things. Yeah, this, this is, a, this is a, a picture of life, like the reality of life. I thought, yeah, man, life is hard. And I can think back to the times in my life when like, it feels like, like my heart is tightening. It's, it's hard to trust it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard not to want to just seize control and, and take over and defend myself and, and hedge my bets and, and maybe not obey because it might hurt. I might be let down again. And then I thought about it some more and I thought, you know, who am I kidding? I've had a very, very easy life. Like, honestly. But I've... I felt pain. I think I have felt the most pain in my life in the church. That's, that's just the honest truth of it. And I don't get it. I mean, here, here we are, the church, the place where all of the hurt and broken people are welcome, meant to come and be vulnerable. The place where the traumatized come together. What could go wrong? <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, like everything, everything. Yeah, it's, it's risky business being a part of a community that says, hey, it's all right to be hurt. It's all right to be honest. It's all right. Go ahead, put the, put the facade away. Be yourself, let it hang out. This is a safe place. We're all gonna be brave together. Yeah. I remember it took about three years, not even, three years being a Christian um, before I was like confronted with the very painful reality that yeah, you get, a, you get a room full of broken people together and you all start being honest. Oh, it gets, it gets painful real quick. It's messy. I have been uh, lied to, let down, attacked, more in the church than I ever was outside. I don't, maybe I'm doing it wrong. I, I, maybe, I don't know. I don't think so. That's, that's just the reality. Painful, painful, painful. I've caught myself maybe hundreds of times over the years praying, Lord, Help me have a soft heart. Help me get through this adventure called life. That I might get to the very end and still have a heart that actually loves people and doesn't just tolerate the broken, but feels deep compassion with the people around me. Lord, give me a soft heart. Life. 
That, that's, that's how our hearts get hard. It's the painstaking journey of life. And there's no more painful thing than the pain of the heart. What does a hard heart do? In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus um, is about to heal a man with a withered hand. He's, he's physically disabled. They're in the synagogue on a Saturday, Sabbath. And he's surrounded by a bunch of um, like religious elites. Some uh, Pharisees, what they're called. And they're watching him to see if he's going to heal, like do something on the Sabbath. Because according to the way they had interpreted Sabbath, it was not lawful to heal anyone on this day. They created this whole system around it. Really, really tragic, honestly. They'd somehow taken like the day of rest and turned it into this religious means of uh, like power and control. Really, really tragic. But Jesus looks around and it says in John, um, Mark chapter three, verse five, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. This is an example of what a hard heart does. A hard heart must control for fear of losing what you've got. For them, it was their little synagogue, their power, their influence, their, their status, their religion, the way they liked it. Jesus was getting ready to mess it all up. The hard heart must always retaliate, defend because in the fourth watch of the night, the hard heart believes deep down, I'm alone. I am all, I am all I've got. Conversely, a soft heart. A soft heart is a heart that knows I'm not alone. Jesus is with me in the storm and he's able to satisfy my most painful longings. A soft heart knows that I am loved. I'm not alone. Jesus hasn't forgot about me. He is faithful and able to satisfy me when it feels impossible, impossible. A soft heart knows no matter what happens next, I am loved. And what does a soft heart do? A soft heart looks out at the needy, messy crowd, maybe the church, and feels deep compassion. I told a couple times explicitly that when Jesus saw the masses, you know, like the protesters who are trying to burn everything down. Oh, wait, sorry, I got political. <clears throat> sorry. Uh, <laughs> the soft heart looks at the masses the crazy, broken, traumatized, hurting, angry, defensive crowd and feels deep compassion. The soft heart, when straining against the painful winds of life, when hated, when cursed, when abused, instead of seeking control or retaliate, the soft heart loves. The soft heart does good. The soft heart prays for those who hurt him. The soft heart doesn't judge or condemn his fellow sinner. The soft heart forgives those who sin against her and freely gives to those who don't deserve it. I've just summarized the Sermon on the Mount according to Luke 6. That's what a soft heart does. 
Because the soft heart, the heart that has been filled with the love of God is being emptied of fear. Fear of running out. Fear of being abandoned. Fear of being excluded. Fear of not measuring up. Fear of dying alone. Fear of being consumed by others. The fear of being known. The soft heart is being emptied of fear as God pours his love into our hearts. The soft heart is the heart that hears and clings to the words of Jesus in the fourth watch of the night when it's all dark and your straining has gotten you nowhere. Jesus says, take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I have everything you need. You don't have to control the situation. You don't have to tighten up. You don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to retaliate. You don't have to freak out and do all the things that just mess your life up over and over and over again. Are you guys with me? You know, isn't it, isn't it weird how all of the, the things we do, the unwanted behavior that we have that flows out of like fear and pain, it's mostly just like reflex behavior. It's, it's habit. It's things that if we stand back and, and look at, we're like, why do I do that? Every time I do that, it messes my relationships up. Every time I do that, things go wrong. Every time I do that, I just feel like terrible about myself afterwards. Why do I keep doing that? Because it's a habit. It's because once upon a time, pain entered in the equation, fear took over, and you begin to build your life on a foundation that wouldn't provide, that wasn't going to be there. And over time, over months, years, decades, those defense mechanisms, that thing we did one time in order to control, in order to defend ourselves, in order to build a little wall around that tender heart, that heart that was once soft. After a while, layer after layer after layer, now, now I've got a whole system, a whole lifestyle that I do that's, I don't even know when it started. I can't remember why I started acting this way. When did I become such an insecure person? When did fear become the underlying motive? God only knows. My point is that so much of our life, so many of the thoughts that we have, we think this is just like the way it is. This is just who I am. This is just my personality. False. <laughs> we were all once little kids that loved to dream and run and play and trust and believe that maybe Jesus would be there and maybe he would answer my prayers and maybe there is an adventure out there maybe someone does love me and Jesus wants to get a hold of our hearts and make them soft again that's the good news it took me a minute to get there that's the good news some of you might be thinking okay so this soft heart that like cares about people and, and trusts Jesus aren't you just describing like a like a Christian Yes. When was the last time you met one of those? <laughs> See, I, I consider this, and I'm like, oh, goodness. I want that. I want to live like that. And it's a miracle. It's one thing to, like, all nod and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, 
Oh, praise God. Praise God. Soft heart. Totally. Yeah, until the wind starts to blow and you freak out, just like me and everyone else. And we do the thing that you do and you retaliate, you try to control, you withdraw, which is just another way of controlling. And Jesus wants to get a hold of our hearts and do the miracle of softening our hearts. The softening of a fully grown, fully hardened heart is actually one of the greatest miracles ever promised in all of scripture. Ezekiel 36, 26, ancient prophecy, ancient promise. The prophet says, I will give you, this is God actually, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God does this by pouring his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. That's Romans 5.5. 5. And now you might wonder to yourself, how? 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 I'll, I'll take one, please. Yep. Maybe, you're, maybe your heart's not uh, entirely uh, petrified. Is that the word? You know, when like wood turns into stone or something like that. But goodness, if you're, if you're even like partially human, then we all know like, oh yeah, this is, this is life. This is real. Like man, life just can beat you up and your heart begins to tighten. It's hard. We find all these ways to protect ourselves and, and trusting becomes... Okay, yes, give me a soft heart. So what do I have to say? A prayer? What, what do I get? I fill out a connection card? Like how, what, what's, what are the steps? That is the million dollar question. How? How do we experience this new heart? God pouring his love into our hearts. His perfect love that displaces fear that we might experience what it feels like to be loved, to be known, to be loved at the core of our being, to trust Jesus like a child, like a child trusts their parents before they know any better. They believe, yeah, Jesus, you are with me in the storm. And you're able to satisfy me with leftovers. How? How? Mm. Okay, here's, here's, you can write this down. You will only know what it feels like to be fully loved to the extent that you are fully known. This, this is the simplest and most difficult thing possibly you will ever attempt as a follower of Jesus. God only fills what he has been given if we surrender, we can know his love. Um, Book of James, super practical, puts it this way. James chapter five, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I used to think for a long, long time that meant find someone who's better than me, like a priest or something, tell them all the things that I'm super ashamed of, feel really bad about myself, um, which is kind of cathartic, and then God will heal me. Nope, I, I don't think that's actually how it works at all. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Allow yourself to be seen by someone else, be known by someone else. Allow someone to look into the part of your life that you don't even like to look at yourself. 
The part that's just so riddled with shame that it's almost too much. It's almost a miracle itself to acknowledge it, to go there at all. Let yourself be known. And allow someone who has just, just a little, it only takes a little, a little bit of God's love in their heart to look you dead in the eye and say, huh, that's, whew, okay, hang on. I love you. Yeah, what you just shared, I'm not going to lie. That's, didn't see that coming. That's pretty bad. Wow. <sighs> hmm. Is it my turn now? Can I, can I tell you what's going on in my life? Can I confess? I'm not going to do it now. I could. Some of you wouldn't like it. Some of you wouldn't like it. In the church, many of us have been conditioned to believe that the guy up here somehow has it all together, doing way better than all y'all. And if I were to tell you what was really going on in my life, I would shatter the facade. And some of you don't want that. You want to believe that there's a perfect person out there. And if you try hard and say your prayers, you can be perfect like me. There's no healing there. There's no healing there. You will only know what it is to be fully loved to the extent that you are fully known. This is why we always encourage, like, get to know someone, connect with someone. We all know it's awkward. So what? Get over yourself. Be known. Get in a small group. We call them ecclesias. It's a Greek word because we're just that cool. Be known. Be known. If you're leading an ecclesia and all you ever want to do is just talk about like the superficial stuff, then lead on. Be the one to be like, Here's my stuff. Pretty gross, huh? Will someone please pray for me? Don't need advice. Shame is not welcome. But would you receive my confession and pray for me? Then it's your turn. And God pours his love into the heart that's broken. Can I invite the worship team to come up, please? I realized that for some of you, like this is just super heavy. Kind of brings up some stuff that you, you didn't really think, I'm going to go to church today and hear a sermon about like super heavy stuff and then have to go home and like reflect on my shame. Um, sorry. But this is, um, I believe, one of the great miracles that God's offering us. Now, in the next few weeks to come, we're going to talk about other kinds of miracles as well. Goodness, it would be tragic to miss the miracle of, of the heart. God's softening a heart that's been battered. filling us with his love, teaching us to be soft again. I'm, I'm kind of stalling because I feel like there, there's a moment here, there's an opportunity. We're going to we're going to worship. We're going to sing songs. We're going to receive communion. Oh, and God is, is totally in that. It can be real healing that takes place in a song. It's incredible. Taking the bread, dipping in the juice, remembering that this love, 
this love of God that he pours into our, our hearts, it's not just sentiment. It's a costly love. It's a love that God demonstrated on the cross. It cost him his life. It's a substantial love. Can we stand together, please? If you would like someone to pray with you this morning, if you need someone to be your confessor, that is receive your confession, um, you can do that right where you're at. Like if you came with someone, or maybe it would help if you don't even know them. That can, that can be good. But if you want to confess something, if you want to talk about like something that God has brought up in your heart this morning and say, man, when I think about this, it's just, I can feel my heart just tighten. And I, I want to, I want to confess it. Someone sinned against me and I want to confess that sin. Or I did something. I sinned in a way that I am deeply ashamed. And I don't want to just, I don't want it. I don't want it anymore. I want to bring it into the light. You can share that with someone. You can confess that. And then if you receive someone's confession, please, 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 please. No advice. None of that. Just pray for them. Remind them that God's grace is more than enough, that they're seen, they're known, and they're loved. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. If you need to do that, then I, I wanna encourage you to do that while we're singing. And then when you're ready, if you're ready this morning, you can go and receive communion. There's gluten-free on this side. And this is our way of saying, Lord Jesus, I do believe. I do believe that you are able to satisfy me. I do believe that because of who you are and what you've done for me on the cross, I can have a heart that's full of your love. Whenever you're ready, 